Hey everybody, this is Doug Schaefer and welcome back to another episode of The Taste. I'm really excited to talk to a guest today who I've run into many times, but I can't say I know him all that well. It's Tony Biaggi. Tony's been making great wines for about 20 years here in Napa Valley. He's worked with some names that I think you'll recognize, like Duckhorn, Plumpjack, and Hourglass. He's a great storyteller, so I've been looking forward to this one. Let's get going. Everybody, Doug Schaefer, welcome back to The Taste. Uh, we've got a special guest today, almost a surprise guest. So, guests, <laughs> he, he, I, you can laugh, but you can't say anything yet. Because this guy um, and I have crossed paths many times over the last 10 or 15 years. We have a ton of common friends in this valley. And, you know, we've never spent any time together. We haven't had lunch. We haven't had dinner. We've been in tasting groups together, but that's always kind of strange. So I've been wanting to get together with this guy for a long time. So today's the day. Tony Biaggi. Hey, Doug. How you doing? Welcome, Thanks for having Tony. Me. I'm glad you're here. You know, help me. Is there, because I was racking my brain yesterday, was there a moment when we first met that you remember? I, it's funny. I think you came in, I was working at the St. Lena Wine Center in the early 90s, mid 90s, about oh, 93, 94, 95. That's where it was. And you came in to buy some wine. I know Dick Graham and Fred Berenger yeah. on the store and you, yeah. you know, that was sort of the hot spot in the day. And right. my uncle had told me, get a job in a wine store if you really want to try wines. You know, my fa- family's from the, the peninsula, San right. Mateo. And um, so I took this job. I was working an internship to work at the St. Lena Wine Center and it was sort of the hub. So I met Elias, yourself, How Bob Levy. funny. When was that? Like That would be 93 to 97 I worked okay. there. So I was getting my degree at Davis. So I'd be there on the weekdays and come over on the weekends and work. So That's where it was. Cool. Yeah, okay. So. And so fast forward to today, because we were talking about this outside coming in. Um, there's kind of different waves of winemaker, winemakers coming through this business, kind of, you know, uh, kind of peer groups, you know, similar yeah, ages. You know, my, I came in with uh, Bruce Cakebread, Heidi Barrett, Kathy Corris, and Tony Soder. Um, Elias was behind me with uh, Marco Capelli and mm-hmm. Mia Klein. That was his crowd. Who's who's your crowd? Strangely enough, you know, this was, I, I came out right at the tail end of the 91 recession. So I graduated okay. from Davis in 95. But Sal at Trouchard would be, um, okay, would be so. one of my classmates. Um, I'm trying to think. Andy Murray down on the Central Coast. Okay. Not a lot of. It wasn't a big class. I think there was eight to ten people that graduated with that me. That was it. It was small. I mean, people were looking for different things. I think just then in '95, I think you can attest to this with the growth of Schaefer subsequent '95 right. through that that whole era, uh, was when people started really getting back into the wine industry and 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 growing. So, but I see some of my peers. It was hard when I moved here. In 95 with my former wife, right. we were both 22 and 23 years old and we didn't know anybody. So really we ended up hanging out like Tom Rinaldi, yeah. whom I consider one of my you know mentors. He's a godfather of my daughter as right. well. And, right. and, and just love him and Beverly to death. But that's who we hung out with. There wasn't a lot of peers in that group because it was also Davis, as you know, when you went there, it was a master's program. So right. a lot of people were coming into their second career and I was one of those kids who chose to have it be my first career. So... It was funny. It just did a lot more people that were in the master's program who came, hung out with older people or they had kids or Got they were it. already married and I was not even there yet. Got so, we, and then as it turned in like 98 and 99, there started becoming like um, this younger generation coming into back into the Valley. Thomas Brown right. moved here and then Ashley Hepworth was, I think moved here about 98, 99. Right, she did Phelps, right? Right, yeah, and then Andy there. Erickson, you know, he, right. he was, we were friends and we knew each other quite well, but he went back to Davis to get his degree. So. Okay. 
really, you know, that's the people I can think of off the top of my head. And oh, Niles Ackerley as well. But Niles went Niles, to beer first. Niles, Niles, yeah, and he's he making, went to beer he's first. Making great beer now. Yeah, he told me. He told me. He, he told me he would never make wine when I saw him at Davis, and then he came back, and now he's at David Arthur as well, making the wines there as well. So he's still making wine. He came back okay. and made wine, and he's all. Then he started his brewery as well. So right. What's the name of his brewery? It's oh, um, top of my head. I can't think of it. It'll come to me during this. During this thing. So bring yeah. it so we can so we can give Niles it's great a and it, the beer is fantastic. But he's always been a wonderful brewer. So yeah. I mean, he, he, I think he worked at Anderson Valley, okay. who, you know, making Boone Amber. So and uh, and some of the way you're talking about this, this things start to overlap with with generations in the wine business because when I came in, the crew before me was. Well, actually, actually, it's Tony Soder and Randy Mason and Joe Cafaro, Craig Williams. Yes. And that was, they were like the older guys, and Elias and I were the younger guys. But all of a sudden, within a few years, you know, you're, you're in tasting groups together, you see each other, and all of a sudden, it's kind of, the whole thing kind of melds into one big, one big happy family. It, it really does, and it's how we really got to know each other, it was in our tasting group right. with Donald Patz and, you know, James Hall and Ann Moses and Ken Dice and these same people, Craig Williams, and... I was the young guy in the group, and I begged and begged and begged to go just so I could taste more wines. Right. I mean, I think that's the most powerful thing in winemaking is to taste as many wines as you can to understand. But in reality, it was just talking to you or talking to you know James Hall, who crafts Pats and Hall, right. you know, or Craig Williams, who I consider also a mentor, you know, Cabernet, and, and just to hear their stories and your stories, not only about how you craft wine, but how they got here. You know, yeah. what is what's the path? Because yeah. I think everybody got here in a different way, but I often think that with this business, it, it, there's always seen the underlying connection of, you know, maybe not conforming, trying to do something completely different and just trying to find, be free. Cause it does allow that right. in this business. So, so speaking of paths and how you, we all got yeah. here, we're going to talk about you today. So born and raised San Mateo slash Belmont, California, got so it. peninsula fifth and generation. So fifth generation. Yeah. My, I have my great, great grandmother moved to Petaluma post uh, potato famine. So, oh. and then my Italian side of my family moved here right after the earthquake. So, got it. and I guess they just something they liked about it. Northern Italian, Irish, you know, the, the Pet, Petaluma is very well known for poultry and, and, and dairy. And then North, Northern California looks, I guess, a lot like Northern Italy. So you're so, Irish, Italian. Uh, Italian, Irish. But Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd I like to it. say that. And then my mom, like you, is from Chicago. Okay. So she moved out here right in the early fifties. So. And I got to ask, cause there's this. Big, great, wonderful trucking company called Biagi. Are you guys, are you related to those I, guys? I always jokingly say I wish I, I was, but I wouldn't work for a living. So you know, hauling a lot of Budweiser pays the bills. So well, you know. Budweiser plus they they haul they haul uh, bulk wines. So they if do. wherever any of us are well, ever selling bulk 90s, wine or buying, you if know, you remember the nineties, they the would tankers. haul they would haul for Behringer yeah. and they go down Main Street every every ten minutes a truck would leave. So oh, yeah. it was crazy. So but but the peninsula, born and raised, you know, back in when the peninsula in the Bay Area was a very different place. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny, I, always, I was telling a story last night to a friend that my baseball field where I grew up played Little League right. is now Oracle. That's where the Oracle World Headquarters are. You so, gotta be kidding no, me. No, <laughs> so if you, if you go down the peninsula on 101, that was where Marine World was. Right. And Marine World, of course, moved up here to Vallejo, but then Oracle had bought all that property and like, what's this Oracle company? I have no, you know, I'm a kid, I have no idea what yeah. this is. And that was sort of our first understanding of what the internet could be or what it would be. But they bought our baseball field. <laughs> they, they tore this beautiful baseball field and they gave oh. us fields back, but it was never had the same Not feel. The same. So now there's a Mercedes dealership there. And, but the it was a very deal. different time. My dad went to the same high school I did. So- What high school? Uh, Sarah High School in San okay. Mateo. So, I mean, you know, Barry Bond, 
Browns and Tom Brady. You know, Tom was an eighth grader when I was a senior. I didn't know him, but I knew of him. That's so, right. Brady went there. Yeah, he was an eighth grader and he was a very good baseball player. That's what people don't, some people don't know that. And so we, I played baseball at Sarah as well. So right. we kind of knew that he was going to um, be the next great catcher, so to speak. And Got it. That's what he did. He was a left-hand hitting catcher. So wow. very, uh, very special. He's, I think he was drafted in the eighth or 12th round by the Expos or something Interesting. like that. Interesting. So yeah. So my cool. dad played football there as well. So, so Sam Mateo. Yeah. SFO, brothers, sisters? No, only child. Only I, child. My parents weren't going to have children, and they decided to have me. I often joke. I said either either <laughs> I scared you out of having any more, or or I was perfect. So your mom, you have to tell me. And she often says you scared us. So oh, it was man. one of those things. Oh, man, <laughs> so, you guys, you're bad, Tony. Yeah. How about wine in the family? Was it around? You know, it, it was. Because I grew up yeah. with the sh- beer and beer and bourbon. My parents. Chicago. My parents divorced when I was very young, and I had a very wonderful relationship with both my father and my stepdad. I mean, playing Great. as many sports as I did. They were always at all the games. I played, you know, I wrestled, played football, and played baseball in high school. So it was never a dull moment or a baseball field was wow. never, you know. So they had to get along, you know. And, yeah. and so they would actually, my dad and my stepdad and my mom would all caravan to games together. They were, they were that close. And nice. So I always never knew the, you know, the, the, the acrimony of divorce. But because of that, my stepdad came into my life and he was always sort of this, um, uh, sort of bon vivant, just lived lived a good life. You know, right. he's from Arcata, California, and he uh, had polio, one of the last cases of polio in Northern California. Oh, wow. And so because of that, I think it sort of gave him this life of just sort of lives lives this one f- wonderful full life and nothing ever gets him too down or too up, but he loved the greater things in life. I mean, he was the first, he moved to Hawaii and worked at the Safeway, the first Safeway that opened with Mike Fisher, a good friend of a common friend of ours. Fisher worked in the Safeway in Hawaii? Yeah, that's how they met each other. This so is Mike I, Fisher, I, who's, a, who's a local guy from- yeah. Friend of ours, great wine lover, always in our tasting yep. groups. So he, um, yeah, he, uh, they, they became very close friends. So wine is always in the family. So I look back on pictures now and I didn't know anything really about it. Right. And there was Ridge always on it. So they, cause my dad moved, my stepfather moved back to San Jose and lived down in that area, but he'd be going up in the late sixties, early seventies to Ridge and buying the wine. So Ridge was always on the table. I never knew it at the time, but I look back at pictures, I see Ridge Montebello or, or Ridge Zinfandels. And so he collected. Yeah, so, but so you grew up with wine around the house. I never drank, you know, drink, I never, they never, drink, my mom never but drank. It's, but it's there. Yep. And then my real father, um, yeah. my biological father, uh, we would go hunting every year in Woodbridge, Lodi. And my dad was a police officer in San Mateo. Okay. And, you know, he became friends with a lot of younger police officers, whom I call my uncles now, but they right. really weren't. But, you know, you, your yeah. parents always have friends that are around more than probably your true aunts and uncles. So right. I, I had we, the same thing. Yeah, we, cool. we go hunt. Um, over in Woodbridge for Dove, you know, it was, it was just a thing that we did. And, but grapes, they had 300 acres and, and, and they would uh, sell their, their crop to Woodbridge or, or Gallo. Right. And I would just be around it. And I just, it was always kind of around. And I just knew when I wanted to graduate high school, I wanted to be a marine biologist. That was my real goal. Now, where and, did, okay, but where did that interest come from? Because um, you're playing ball, you're living kid. in San Mateo. I mean, you're I had great that, teachers. Okay. You know, I really think that okay. I went to a private uh, high school, but I went to public, you know, didn't go to parochial. I went to, you know, went to public high school, junior right. high school. And a professor named Peter Kimball, a science professor, really got us into science. And then there's another great chemistry professor there. I mean, just as a kid, just really sort of stoked my interest in this. And I really wanted to do this. Okay. And I just had really good teachers. And that's really where it started that, that sort of knew how to teach and could, could mentor you, but also be stern with you. You know, they understood when to do all of that. And, you, got it. you know, we had a great, great science class. And I would take some summer school classes because my, both my parents worked. So I, you know, there was, they were like, you're going to do this. And right. they did a marine <laughs> biology class where we'd take field trips to the coast. I mean, Belmont's only 
maybe a half an hour, 35, 40 minute drive from Half Moon Bay over the hill. Right. And so we would be at the, you know, the ocean by 10 and a Montera, just looking at stuff. Tide, and tide pools. Exactly. Stuff, tide yeah. pools. And, and, you know, and it was just a really exciting place. I mean, the Bay Area growing up, I mean, it, it really is like a modern day. I think it's like Tom Sawyer in the sense that, you know, it was just wild enough that you could get out and get your hands dirty, you know, go, go, go look for frogs or tadpoles or go fishing, you know, and I had family that loved to fish and, uh, you know, we'd fish on the Bay. We, st- I mean, I told some of the story the other day that um, I caught a 25 pound striped bass right off the pillars at SFO because you could fish the pillars back then. Now, because of September 11th, everything is, you know, if you get anywhere near that, they're, they're gonna arrest you. But How there was cool. things you could do, you know, so, and so. So you guys probably, as kids used to go out and watch the airplanes take Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so right there, so jet washing cool. everything, jet it was amazing. <laughs> you know, kerosene, kerosene tastes really good at 5 p.m., let me tell you. But no, we could, my grandparents would take me there. We'd watch planes just sure. take off for hours. And now it's all, as you, I mean, you go there, you it's, go it's, yeah. it's unbelievable, the pillars and cement. So it was a different time and, you know, we could just go around the pillars and fish for striped bass or we'd go fish the northern uh, Richmond Bridge for for sturgeon. And, you know, we would always be fishing or always doing something out in the the wild. You know, then got into my dad got into bike riding. So I bike. I I like to ride bikes with him. Right. Always outside. Never, never go meal. So that all tied into wanting to be outside. Got it. So, so marine biology. So you went to Davis. I did. I got recruited. I got recruited to wrestle at Davis. Oh, cool. From from really? high school. Yeah. You know, I, I always give to my teacher. There, I, I always go back to teachers because I've been very lucky to have a ton of them, whether it be in this business, right? Or there, there's a, a professor or teacher by the name of Paul Bristow, and I think he teaches. I think he still teaches over at Atwater High School. He would drive from Modesto to San Mateo every day to teach. That's how. That's like a three-hour drive. Yeah, and he would sometimes stay in the locker room at night. <laughs> and just because it just couldn't, didn't want to go back right. to the traffic. But I think he ended up getting the head football job at, at Atwater and then be a teacher. But he was my computer science teacher. And Got it. I had no want to wrestle. I didn't, I just wanted to play baseball and football. And Well, you wrestled in high school, but you didn't want to go on with No, it. I didn't want to, I didn't right. even do it in high school. It oh, was okay. just a matter of, I want to play football and baseball. And Sarah is a very... A school that's very known for baseball. I mean, Greg Jeffries, Barry Bonds, Got it. all these prof- players. And so if you want to go there, you have to focus on it. But I'm, like we were joking earlier, I'm, I'm loquacious. I love to talk probably t- way too much. No, it's um, great. And so the prof- so Paul Bristow <laughs> said to me, you can, go to, you can go to detention or you can come to wrestling practice. Up to you. What'd you do to get in trouble? Talked. <laughs> I'll <laughs> I mean, say I didn't connect that. <laughs> didn't, never, never stopped talking. Um, um, but so the rest is history. And I, I wrestled in a tournament for freshmen that weekend. I took second place with three days of practice. And it just was something I took to very quickly. And it just got me to Davis. So that's cool. So did you wrestle at Davis? I did not. I mean, okay. I, I was burnt out. Yeah. I, you know, I, I ended up playing baseball for a year. I redshirted. And then I just realized the game had gotten better than me. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing with baseball when you just realize you hit a plateau and people, some people just keep going, you know, right. playing around, you know, I had a player that I played with named Danny Serafini was the first round draft pick of wow. the twins one year. And the kid just kept getting better and better and throwing harder and harder and harder. I'm like, I keep growing outward, not what upward po- what anymore. Pos- what position? I played outfield. So outfield. I played center field and, and first, but really I could hit, I could always swing a baseball bat. So God, I, I got to tell you a story because, and because uh, I remember freshman at Davis, the guy in the room next door to me, next door, you know, in the dorm, became a lifelong, is a lifelong friend, but he was on the team. Yeah, baseball. They have a great program. He's a pitcher, so you know, there was something. It was like um, I don't know, middle of winter, and you know, he wanted. To, he said, "Hey, come on, throw the ball with me. I need to. I need to start throwing the ball. <laughs> yeah. Practice starts in a, you know four weeks." So we're going out and just you know, I've never played a lot of baseball, but you know, I know how to catch and throw. And uh, he's throwing me the ball. And it's like, you know, it's getting a little harder, a little harder. He goes, okay, now 
be ready for this one. I said, what? He goes, it's going to be a curveball. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, it's going to start out like way over here. And it's going to end up, you know, by your other shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was like, yeah, right. It's like, oh yeah, it happened. It just, you know, just about knocked me out. Yeah. So it was, uh, no, it was pretty incredible. You know, Davis <laughs> is a division. It was a division two school. So, you know, it doesn't play against Alabama or schools like that. Right. But they were the, the Sears award winner a couple of years when I was there for the best programs. You know, they, they would win the most national championships. Wow. Baseball was incredibly competitive there. And um, I just knew I wasn't good enough anymore. But yeah. a picture like that, yes, absolutely. It would have been crazy. fantastic. Crazy stuff. So, yeah. So you're Davis, marine biology, doing the gig. And then Ann Noble got me. So, Ann Noble. So yeah. Ann Noble, longtime professor in the yeah. enology department Absolutely. at UC Wine aroma wheel. What class? That's right. She did the aroma yeah. wheel. So what class was it? Uh, Ven3. It was, Vin, okay, we called it Vit3 when yeah, I was there. Yeah, now it's Vit, Viticulture Enology, because they, they just took it off of Vit. It was the intro class. Yeah, it was, and I just sort of fell in love with it. I mean, again, it, it, it started, <laughs> as you know, it checked all the buttons. Um, you could be outside. Right. You know, you didn't have to sit behind a desk. And so I said, let's do this. So I, I started in viticulture first, though. Got it. And then I went to work for Larry Larry Levine in 92 at Dry Creek Vineyards. And I just Dry fell in Creek love with one in, in Sonoma. Yeah. And, and so I went there and just sort of fell madly in love with it. And, I, you know, I, I think I was thinking about knowing we were going to talk with you about what it is. And I think you're going to agree with me. There's a certain pirate aspect to harvest. There's a sort of pirate aspect of it's almost a free for all. I mean, of course, you're working incredibly hard and there's a focus, but it is. I mean, you see some of the darndest things during harvest. And I did that year. I'm like, this is my this is my jam. I like this. You know? Oh, because you were at Dry Creek doing harvest. Harvest, yeah, I worked were you, harvest. Were you were in, you were at Davis. I took at the time? I took a quarter off a quarter. to work harvest to see if I really liked it. Got it. So like fresh sophomore junior year. Sophomore year, ninety two. So my sophomore year. Oh yeah. So. so you're working in a cell. You're a grunt. I was nineteen years old, and yeah. you know, and just this is this is for me. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, you've seen all types in the cellar during harvest. Yeah. You get internships. <laughs> I mean, some guys are rocket scientists. Some guys probably shouldn't be anywhere near flammable materials. I mean, exactly. it's just, it's just, they should not be driving a forklift. Exactly. Right. So you, so you get that. And I just fell in love with it. So I worked another harvest next year at Hess collection under Randall Johnson. Oh, Randall's great. Yeah. So he was one of the, he was one of my guys. He was a, just a step above, a step ahead of me, but yeah. Great guy. And he took great good guy. care of me. Again, teachers. I mean, he, he was very yeah. generous with his time with me. And, and then I went to work at the wine store and we're Fred Berenger. And again, more teachers, Fred Berenger, Fred and Kathy Berenger. Um, and a gentleman named Dick Graham, they took me under their wings and, you know, they would open wines for me and, you know, Screaming Eagle, they launched Screaming Eagle, they launched That's other right. brands. And they so had, this is, so you're still at Davis? Still at Davis, working on weekends. I drive over, I made my classes on Friday, um, and at 12, so and I could be 12. over here by one or two, over by two, right. maybe an hour and a half to get here, depending yeah. on how fast I drove. And then I would stock the floor for them for the weekend, because the weekend is, of course, as you know, is a mad rush. Right. And then I would work the store Saturday, and then Sunday I would work the store myself, and I'd close it at five and drive back to Davis. And if I had any homework, I'd do it in the afternoons at the store. As you know, now it's different here. I mean, now it's year round people. Right. But Sundays usually slowed down about two o'clock and I could get some work done and just behind the counter and I would go home and just finish up and go to bed. Man, so. you really, you really, you really had a big time passionate. Well, I, I, you're working at, you're I loved working it. At, yeah. I loved every bit of it. I mean, I always tell people it's just, I think you could agree. I mean, it's a fun business. I mean, it can be an, it can be a tough business too. Sales and that, that that's a hard side of it. You know, it's, it's, it's very a, easy to make. It's very hard to sell. And you, know, you have to understand, people don't get that sometimes, I think. But overall, I love it. I love every well, aspect. Well, I think we kind of sometimes part of, we uh, portray the, uh, oh, it's wonderful. It's uh, idyllic. It's, you know, we, we watch the grapes grow. We, gee, we spend a little time mm-hmm. making the wine. Then we sit back and relax. We're... The reality is, it's like any other business. You got a lot of things going on. You got to get out and sell it. You got to travel. You got to do this. You got to, you know. 
labor, you know, I mean, everything. Yeah. And I've always yeah. think for someone like yourself, you know, the Schaefer name on your, la- your name, your, your day's never over. Someone hears your name in a restaurant, all you want to do in Napa is maybe be, you know, in, not, you know, just yeah. completely alone and with your wife or your kids and, oh, hey, Doug, how, how was that trip? Are, are you looking at this fruit? Yeah, you know, it's okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's, it doesn't bother me that much. And so, it doesn't happen that much. People are pretty respectful. Okay. All right, so you're getting out of Davis in when? I got out of 95. 95. This is funny. So you're getting out of Davis in 95. And 95, God, I'd been here for, I just kind of, I love to do this thing with you guys, you know, different different eras, because I was in the thick of it here. Had been for years at Schaefer. Okay, so, so out of 95. What, what so year what did you, you come back to the winery? I, I came back to the winery. So I graduated Davis 78, 9, got a teacher and credential, went to Tucson, taught school for two years, okay. came back to Napa in. 81, worked with Randy Mason at Lake Spring Winery okay. over in Yountville for two years, and then joined Schaefer in 83. Okay. Hired Elias in 84. So your dad made the 78. Well. That's a, that's, that's a legendary yeah, bottle of wine. It is a legendary bottle of wine. It's still really good. And yeah, you know, I'll give him credit for it. He kind of <laughs> didn't, but boy, he grew the grapes. He was a hell of a grape grower. So. And, uh, but it was custom crushed at, at Markham. Fermented at the old uh, the old Round Hill, which was on Lodi Lane. You probably okay. don't know that. No. Round Hill's original place was on Lodi Lane. Oh, halfway. where was it at? The White Barn? Uh, halfway across um, on the south side. I where? think they've turned it into a house or something like that. It was okay. like a barn. Yeah. Huh, interesting. That's that well, I, I did not know that at all. It's so cool. A guy named Charlie Abella. The place was owned by Ernie Van Asperen, who ran yep. Ernie's wine Ernie's shops. Ernie's Liquor. Yeah. Ernie's Liquor. Tom Sam Rinaldi Sam worked Sam there. Rinaldi worked at Ernie's oh, yeah, Liquor? Oh, yeah, totally did. Absolutely, he did. <laughs> all right, speaking so. of Tom Rinaldi, so you're out of Davis, and what happens? Yeah, so you know, again, it was right coming out of the recession. Right. And you know, I put my resume out everywhere. I had two years experience in Hartford and there's right. nobody hiring, nobody. And oh, luckily, because of my wine store connection, Fred and Kathy Berenger, Mark Berenger said, hey, I had a guy leave. And, and I said, who would leave Duck Run? Well, they're going to Silver Oak. And remember back in the day, if you got a job at Silver Oak, I mean, people don't realize that, you know, wineries like Bryant Family Harlan didn't exist. Didn't exist. Schaefer, Duckhorn, Silver Oak, those were the, the wineries. If you got a job there, it was like, you know, hallelujah. I mean, these, these are really companies that are you know, right. surviving retirement plans. I mean, crazy stuff, you know, <laughs> healthcare, you know, stuff that, you know, you laugh I mean, about. What, what a concept. What a concept, you know, crazy. <laughs> but I mean, that's really right. what you look for a little bit. And um, Mark Barron just said, hey, we, we just lost our seller worker. He's going to go be the seller master at Silver Oak. So Barron was a Duckhorn. He was assistant winemaker to Tom Rinaldi. Got so, it. And okay. then um, they said, we have a seller job. You're going to start in the seller. Is that okay? Now you have a degree. I said, sure. sure. And then I, funny, funny enough, I got offered another job by Greg Upton, who was at Franciscan oh, at the time. And, and I had mm-hmm. interviewed him a couple of times because he did remember the Cuvée Sauvage Chardonnay they made at Franciscan. That was big. First time I ever heard about wild yeast. Wild yeast. You know, yeah. And so I'd interviewed him and, and we had hit it off and I, and Delcorn offered me the job first and I took it. So Wow. Yeah. Quick, a quick sidebar on Greg Upton. He was, I'm pretty, yeah, he was at... Uh, was he at Schramsburg? I think he did come from Schramsburg to Francis. Yeah, okay. So I think Elias had an internship there years ago too. Okay, everybody. No, it's funny, and, and he was great. Um, and 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 he, he again one of those winemakers that came into the wine center that has a little pepper with questions left and right, and just uh, again someone like Elias, who whom I looked up to as as someone I go, whoa, that's Elias Fernandez. He makes so much Schaefer. Oh my gosh, you know, but, that just I mean, cracks me up. I know, so I, know much. I know, I know, I know. I, 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 I can see why you'd just, say that. It's just so, Elias, man. Yeah, you know, and it's Elias. I mean, but I, mean, I was a young kid, and I just you know these guys were sort well, no, of these it makes giants. Because it makes sense. Because Elias started here in '84, right out of Davis. Yeah. Um, 
And right at, and he and I, you know, worked side by side. I was winemaker. He was assistant. Big deal. But, but right in 95, when you were getting on the scene, yeah. he, you know, we, he became the winemaker yeah. and I became president. So he was the guy. You know, yeah, no, and it was great because, I mean, I had pepper on questions. I always <laughs> said I was like the little kid who asked too many questions. They all wanted to beat up their little brother. Right. All I wanted to know is more, you know, and I see these guys like Bob Levy, you know, Marco Capelli. Who you did ask a lot of questions. I remember yeah. you in the in our tasting group. I yeah, do. you were. I do. Yeah. I do. I, I just always trying to figure stuff out, and I just realized there are no answers in the wine business. There's just more <laughs> questions. But uh, so but, yeah, I went to work at Duckhorn. So who you, did you interview with Rinaldi or Mark? I well, Rinaldi. I interviewed with Mark. I interviewed with Tom, and I interviewed with Dan at the end. And um, Tom is funny. Called Ann Noble and. And Ann Noble said that, you know, he would be a handful for anybody but you, Tom. And if you, you know, if you're the listeners out there know Tom, uh, Tom, the Tom is Tom. I mean, he is very much himself. And Tom you know. was the original winemaker at Duckhorn yep. in 1978. Yep. Their, their, Duckhorn's first finish was 78 Merlot. And it was the, there's always a couple of hot wines every year. Yep. It was so, and they, this was 81 or 80, 81. There's the 78 Duckhorn Merlot was the hot wine. Yep. Um, I, I you know put in a plug for Schaefer. The Schaefer seventy eight cab was yeah. a well. Well, you guys are both class time. of seventy eight, right? It's, yeah, we're it's class of seventy eight. You guys, who else was there in seventy eight? There's somebody else. Oh, I can't remember. Is Jordan or was Jordan earlier? Jordan might have been earlier. I think Jordan was earlier. Okay, but boy, that Duckhorn Merlot that was that was the first one. You know, yeah, he's cracked it for me a couple of times. Yeah. It's phenomenal juice. Yeah, but so. nobody was making varietal Merlot. So it was no, really and that's a, an interesting story. I mean, I, you know, personally, I'd love to see here on it Rick Foreman to tell his story about how because I mean, Dan was really influenced by Dick. Oh, sorry, Richard, Rick, uh, Rick, Rick, Rick Foreman. Uh, we'll go to Dick, Dick Stolzner later, but Rick right. Foreman. And um, he really pushed to have grow Merlot, and Rick was really who turned Dan on to Merlot. And Rick was winemaker at Sterling. Sterling, then. yeah, and Got he made it. some wonderful wines in the 70s for, for Sterling. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah, and I think he actually helped Tom get hired. At, he said, you should hire this guy. You know, he's really talented. And then so Tom got the job. But... Uh, yeah, so I interviewed with all three of them, and and I, I got the job. And so Duckhorn in '95, how many cases? Well, that's funny because that's really why I think a lot of us. I mean, that's sort of the exponential growth right. of, of of California wine. I think we were doing 350 tons at the at the time. Okay, very small. I mean, yeah, very very doable. Uh, about 25 30,000 cases yeah, the most. Twenty five thousand. Most cases. of it was Merlot, Napa right. Valley Merlot, and Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. Smaller amount of Cabernet. And then um, solving, uh, Three Palms Merlot. And those are the main things. And then a second label called Decoy. Right. So, so seller was Rinaldi, Mark Berenger, you. Bob McLerney. Okay. And then the Hurtado family. Oh, I remember so, Bob. Yeah, I'm Bob and him. Kelly Duckburn yeah. were married. And, yeah. uh, and the Hurtado family. And most of the Hurtados are still there, Got which it. is great. They're just a great Hispanic family from Petsimero in Mexico, which is in Michoacan. And Got just it. loved work. And they were amazing. Working with them is just, it was, yeah. it was the... I look back on it now and, you know, you're young and it's probably like you did. I'm never going to work for the family winery, you know, and when I left Duckhorn, oh, you know, I'm going to go make my fortune. But now I look back on it so fondly and how much huh. information I got to take in. It was the best job. Dan Duckhorn was incredibly generous with his staff. I mean, yeah. the retirement plans and with the best health care, best vision. But he was also just very good. I mean, there's so many things I learned there, but the reality was it was sort of the turn of the time when you finally com started really... Now, if you take, go to Europe and say, you know, the influence of, of winemaking and, and viticulture going the, to be the same person almost. Right. Um, that didn't really, I think you can speak to this more than I could, Doug, because you saw it. You had viticultures, or you had the guys who were in the grapes, and you had the guys making the wines right. back in the 70s and 80s right. here in Napa. Where that's when the turn started happening, where we started going out more with, you know, and I would beg Dan and Alex, 
Alex Ryan is now the president, Ryan. and you know right. he was in, in charge of viticulture at the time. Can I just ride with you guys on Sundays? You right. know, my day off of harvest, can I go with you guys? Go see what you're looking at. And they looked at me like sideways, like why? why? I said, well, I just want to see. And so they would give me a, an almond croissant from Melo Bakery and an Adwala and just say, don't say anything in the back. I just sit there for the next four hours. I just drive around the vineyards. And I mean, I think Dan Duckhorn doesn't get enough credit for so many things in, in this valley. And one of them was how wine is sold. I mean, he's a genius. Oh, you know, California great, Winery man. Direct for the wine at the very great beginning. On the road, yeah. And then vineyards. I mean, he knew great dirt. And I just yeah. would listen to what he would be looking for. And just the staple of vineyards, whether it be spots, whether we were making wine from or Vine Hill Ranch right. or... Um, Gene Phillips's piece. I mean, just these great ranches that, that at the time they were growers, they weren't winemakers. Well, they're just growers. And you speak to something that happened because I kind of being here yeah. a little bit, a few years before you, that's kind of what was going on. So at least here at Schaefer, I mean, the eighties were, and you know, I can't speak for the rest of the Valley, but for us, and I think a lot of us like it, the eighties, we were just trying to figure out how to make wine. Mm -hmm. We were trying to figure out how to make wine that was good, solid, hopefully great, but at least good and dependable and stable and not going to blow up in the bottle. And so the, the attention of the vineyard was kind of minimal because we were just, we had our hands full. Mm -hmm. And by the early 90s, we'd kind of, not that you ever have it down, but it's like, okay, we felt pretty confident with what we're doing winemaking wise. Mm -hmm. And then we started looking to the vineyard along with that's when the whole, you know, the phylloxera thing had happened and replanting, you know, it happened in the mid to late 80s. And so all of a sudden, winemakers are going out in the vineyard and having a lot more input. You know, I know, I'm sure with yeah. you, well, you're, you're the same way. Elias, it's, it's uh, summertime now and he's in the vineyard. Yeah. Two, Actually, three I, just days I just looked at the vineyard that we, one of my clients, uh, Michi, buys in yeah. Stag's Lake. I just went there real quick to look at the crop load and see how it looked, how yeah, that was. You walked in here, you've got a, you got a tan, you got you got <laughs> dirty boots and dirty yeah. hands. You've been out in the vineyard. I, we, always joke, we always joke that when we go on a, you know, when you, when you go on a, a, a wine sales trip, you, get your, you, stain, you stain your hands red and say, see, I do work in the winery. So, uh, but yeah, so we, we still do it. I mean, that's the best part of it, really walking vineyards and being outside yeah. and seeing things. And I do believe sometimes there's a watch pot aspect, like a watch pot never boils. So sometimes mm -hmm. you just let nature do its thing, but it is nice to get out there and look at the crop loads and understanding what's happening. Well, we've learned that you can see things happening in, you know, early to mid to late June that are going to affect harvest. And you yep. can, that's a chance you've got some abilities to affect some things to help you out at harvest. Especially crop load. I crop mean, load. You, know, you can see if everything's on top of each other now, but you know, we're looking at, cause you know, we had rain, late rains this year and it's to see what this, set looks. Is it, yeah. we're looking like it's big again. It's up and down. I see some okay. vineyards that are loaded and some vineyards that are really loose clustered. Okay. And I think it's just a matter. And you know, that's the funny thing about the business. It's when they were, when it was flowering, when the rain hit, right. you know, was it not flowering? And then it flowered a week later. Later, well, that was that's a big monster. But if this was out, then you know the cluster seed yeah. or you know one of my clients again, Sonoma Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. One of my assistants was out there today. They down, and he just said they're down. Those are about ten twenty because they were in the middle of flowering. During yeah, the season. our, our Carnero Shards. You know, it's it's not so it's not a crisis, but yeah, it's not. Which it's, it's kind of normal below normal, which is so, fine. But the reds, some reds look heavy. Yeah, so. which is kind of crazy to you people out there because last year, 17, was a really heavy year. No, it, it was 18. Last year was 18, 18 yeah. pardon me. 18 was a really heavy year for everything. And normally you don't have two heavy ones in a row. But You don't, but again, that we late might. weird rain, which I haven't seen. You know, yeah. I mean, That was a lot of rain for late, late in the spring. I know it was rain during uh, the auction before. You know, 98 right. was one year. I think 11, it might have been another one. But that was a lot of rain. I mean, yeah. and it's still wet. The profile of the ground is still wet. I was talking to a... 
it's always fun to go to farmer's markets because just to see what they're seeing. And, right. you know, I had bought some Padron peppers from the, the gentleman goes, yeah, those are growing in the greenhouse. I can't get my pepper plants in the ground yet. The ground's still, it's too, still wet. too wet. They just planted their tomato plants. So it's just, you That's know. That's a good tip. Go to the farm, talk to the farmers. See what they're doing, what they're seeing. Yeah. And so, well, you know, Alex Ryan taught me a lot about the simple things. Look at look at the Buckeyes, you know, look at look at the blackberry bushes. How heavy are the blackberry bushes? And those kind of these little indicators, are, are, the, are the leaves falling yet in the trees? And yeah. what's harvest, you know, is it going to be an early fall or not? Does it always work? No, but there are some interesting things that you can see going, yeah. I can see a correlation. Yeah. So, well, they can, yeah, they're plants. Yeah. So, so back to Duckhorn, you're in the cellar. Yeah, you, you got the team. You're there. You're at Duckhorn for how many six years? years? Six, six years. Six years. Yeah, and, and started as a started as a cellar worker, ended as the winemaker at Paradox and assistant winemaker at Duckhorn. But you know that that entitled their growth was you know was it exponential, was and it it was crazy. And and it was I always look back so fondly because they gave me enough rope to hang myself, you know. And I, well, my t- my toes hit the ground, but I mean I, 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 I okay. <laughs> that's a great so, that's a great visual. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you one thing about Duckhorn, Dan. Before we go on, Dan Duckhorn's Great, great guy. We all love him in this valley. And uh, did he ever take you fishing? He never took me fishing, but he did. He, I did drink a lot of Pinot Noir with him. You know, okay. he fell he fell madly in love with Pinot towards my last couple of years there. And they went and made you know the Golden Eye Purchase up in Mendocino Got County, it. and um, and he just saw this vision of, of Pinot Noir. He really did. Well, you, it, but you know yeah. the story about going fishing. He had a place where in Montana or uh, Idaho or somewhere. Idaho, I think. So but Pete Pete Provinsinski, oh, yeah. a sales guy who's a good buddy of mine, tells a story. He'd take a couple of you guys up there to go fishing. Quote, go fishing, and basically had this place, and he'd. He'd make he'd make them all work for like four four or five hours That's, every day cutting weeds. He sounds about Dan, yeah, yeah exactly. So you get the fish in the morning and the yeah. afternoon, but what do you do in the midday? Right. Cut weeds. You guys are gonna so cut he's weeds. Hilarious. I mean, you know, your father Dan Duckhorn, that generation is 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 so interesting to me. Just the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I mean, it. Now you move here and there's there's templates of like Harlan and templates of Colgan or Bryan or one of these wineries that just say, you know, I want to be the next this Colt wine, which I, you know, Colt wine drives me bananas because, yeah. I mean, what's a Colt? I mean, you could say Synquinon's a Colt wine. You could say Hillside Selects a Colt wine. I mean, it's just, I think it's been overused, but um, Dan was just amazing. I mean, those, I mean, he's just, I don't think you could really ever create a character in fiction like him, yeah. you know, it's just, just a genius in so many ways and just saw the world in such a different way. And uh, especially in the wines. Yeah, and I learned so much from him on the ground, on ground. And I wish there was more people. I think a lot of people, Tony Soder, it's funny how the, the time sort of passes on and these people aren't championed more. I think people are always looking to the future. Who's next? Uh, Whereas Tony so, Soder is another know. person, you know, you were, you know him well. Yeah. He was, he was my, yeah, you know, he was my guy. He, and so, uh, not my guy, but boy, he helped us tremendously. And he's just a genius. And yeah. I looked to him like, you know, I wish people, more people would still talk about him now. Yeah. And But Dan Duckhorn, I think, just overall understanding how to build a brand. And he was so good to his employees. I mean, I, I look back on that time and it just almost brings, you know, tears to your eyes how much fun it was. Yeah. It was so much fun. And it was just growing exponentially, almost doubling every three years, you know, but finding the great grapes, finding the great fruit, you know, equipment budget, buy whatever you need. Whatever you need. Yeah. And it was just great. So I got a story, one more story yeah. about Dan, no, one more story about Dan. I'm at some dinner at the Napa Valley Wine Auction. It's Thursday night. And it was co-hosted by Schaefer, Duckhorn, and mm-hmm. some other wineries. So it was a big group, 70, 80 people. And so I'm having a glass of wine talking to Dan. He goes, Schaefer, Schaefer. I go, what? He goes, I got this new thing. We're doing this new thing. We're coming, we're releasing it in you know six weeks. I go, what? And he whips out a label. And it's this thing called Paradox. I go, yeah. 
what's that? He goes, oh, it's awesome, man. Wait, it's a blend of Zinfandel and this and that. And the other thing I was like, I remember driving home and he was all excited about it. I'm like, I'm driving home that night going, what a dumb idea. That ain't going to work at all. And yeah. boy, was I wrong. So Paradox. Well, so, it's funny with so Paradox. Became, it's funny, funny you, you should the say that. Yeah. Of Paradox. It's funny you should say that because I always give Dave Finney and he always laughs at it. You know, the prisoners basically get a Zinfandel thing, blend. Right. And he goes, yeah, he's all, Dan did it first, but I just did it better. Oh. <laughs> now he's joking. Dave, Finney. and anybody who knows no. Dave Finney, he's one of the nicest guys in the world. But right. um, yeah, you know, he had this idea of, of Zinfandel and Cabernet and based off of Sasakaya and Ornol, you know, the, the, the Super yeah, Tuscan super blends. And so... And, I was, he, you know, they said, you should, you know, you're going to be the winemaker here. And I was 25 years old. Wow. And I, okay. That's I mean, pretty, yeah, that's it, pretty it was cool, fun. And, and it was a really fun blend. You know, the blend I think we ended up with was like 60, 40 about Zen okay. and Cab or Zen and Merlot Cab. And, and that really worked. And then they built the winery down in um, Yountville, which I consider one of the best pieces of property, that Rector Creek pieces, pure rock and, and, and cobble. I mean, and it, How much vineyard they have there? I, I got to think it's 40 acres. Oh, 45 wow. 45 acres. It's a huge piece of ground. Okay. And reality is it's just on the backside of Screaming Eagle. I mean, it's just, you know, that it's big, right the little mountain right there separates the left to the right, but it's the same flow same, same off of uh, Pritchard Hill, you right. know, so great dirt. Great. And again, that's what Dan did is he put together, he cobbled together all these great vineyards that they bought. Because remember, he was a buyer. I mean, he was a, he was a negotiator. Big time buyer. He didn't buy vineyards for a long time. No. In fact, I do remember seeing him and he said, boy, he actually said to him, he didn't say I, I blew it, but he said, I, I should have been buying vineyards and I haven't been. I'm going to start doing it now. And he bought some great he, pieces of dirt. he really went after know. it. You know, yeah. the piece next to spot across the street from spots, but next right. to David Abrams Madrona Ranch, stunning. Um, Monitor Ledge, Rector Creek, Stout up on Howl Mountain. All those vineyards are just, they are top notch. I mean, he, yeah. I learned so much from him. And Alex, yeah. too. I mean, and Tom and Mark, all four of those guys, I mean, are to me, I learned so much. And, yeah. and you know, I asked a ton of questions. Um, you know, never got in trouble too bad. You, know? but, <laughs> you didn't have to stand, but, you didn't um, have to wrestle. But, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh no, Tom tried to wrestle me once. It didn't go well. I, so. Not for Tom, no. <laughs> so, so you're a Paradox, you're a winemaker. So how long were you at Paradox? Uh, well, we were making Paradox, and the winery wasn't at up yet. So we were making it at, at, at uh, sorry, I got all these at, names confused, yeah. Duckhorn. And then I was, so I was about, I, I finished the 97 Made the 98, 99, 2000 is the first time that, you know, really they said, you're the, you're the winemaker. But I was making those wines because Mark it. had moved up to the winemaking role with Tom. So okay. it was sort of the, everybody got sort of named those roles. And, but Tom had moved on in 2000. So Mark was the winemaker till then. But I basically, Mark was really focusing on the Bordeaux Reds with Tom. I was focusing on that with that. So 2000 is when I got the big title, so right, to speak. Right. But, um, I worked on it the whole time from the very first vintage. 94 was the first vintage. So it was really fun. It was a great opportunity. I mean, and again, just working with this. I mean, we were taking Vine Hill Ranch Cabernet and blending it with Zinfandel. So, oh, I mean, man. it was great. Well, that's why the wine was so that's good. Really I mean, good, good. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and then in 01, um, I had an opportunity to leave and I just, I didn't want to be there my whole career. I wanted to see other things. And well, I you got were there for what? Ten, six, years, six, six years. Six years. Yeah. And then I went to work for Mark Neal for two vintages. It helped him get his winery off the ground. Uh, really fun time. I still do a lot of business with Mark, a big grower here named Jack Neal and Sons. Big so. And now, but Mark's place is over in Pope Valley? No, on uh, Howl Mountain. It's Howl Mountain. Howl Mountain, Thank yeah. You. Sorry. Right Sorry. off of Liparita Road. Got so, it. but he was buying fruit from all over the valley and we got the brand going. And, it, and then I had the opportunity to go to Plump Jack and 03. Uh, turned 30 and I got offered the job and I took it. Just That's wild. So Plump Jack was the first one of a now three, three. or four now. Yeah. Four now that uh, they, they have. It's so. the uh, Plump Jack 
Cade, Odette, Odette. and then they bought Ladera, and they call it, I think they call it the that's, 13th. That's right. They so, did buy Ladera up Which on is Hall a stunning piece of dirt it's on Hall So, yeah, and that was, again, uh, it was, uh, I think you go back to anything, Doug, I think you agree with me. It all, goes, it all starts and ends with land. And that Plump Jack piece, the uh, Mick Williams Vineyard, was the, was the like, home of Villa Mount Eden. Villa Mount Eden is back an in the old days. piece of dirt. It's it great. It really is. And it's the backbone of that wine. Well, so. it's right down Oakville Crossroad, close to the trail, which is again yeah. near that. It's well, kind they call of that it whole... the, the, the sort of, you know, the tenderloin, which is, you know, it would be Rudd behind him, uh, St. Eden for Bond, right to the right of him, then Tierra Roja on the hillside, to the north of him, I think it's Fortuna Vineyard for. Um, uh, oh, I'm pulling a blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Turnbull. 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 And then you have Screaming Eagle, you have Tench. And then you and go up the hill right up to Dolly Valley. Dolly You can see the house from there. And, and so Bacchus. that red dirt's very, very, very red dirt's special. Cool. You know? know, and so I just, and they gave me free reign. Nils was there as a consultant, but he really gave me free reign to do what I wanted. And it was Nils Vengi, who was this, winemaker at Villamont Eden yeah, forever. That's why they hired him back in 95. Okay. Because they wanted to bring him back to the property. And, and at, they never had a full-time winemaker there until I came on board in uh, 03. So they had a they had an associate winemaker, but never a full winemaker. That's really cool, man. So they started Plump Jack, and you were the winemaker. You were the first. Well, they guy. started in '95, so it did okay. it did roll. But then they finally John Conover, who is the general manager and still isn't a partner in the in the business, uh, felt that they needed a full time person there. Got you it. know, Nils was consulting at other places. They needed to have someone really watch after the yeah. that that yeah. facility, and and it was a blast. I mean. Uh, Gordon Getty, of course, and, and Gavin Newsom. It was right when Gavin was elected mayor of San Francisco to watch all the politics work and just to be around Gordon Getty and his history and his story. Um, he was incredibly generous to all of us. Right. Um, very, just a very caring, loving man and it allowed us to do whatever, you know, really to make the best wines possible. And they really did give me all the tools there. But it really starts and ends with the dirt. I mean, you can sort, hand sort, you can do a one ton an hour. And it's funny, I think you'll understand <laughs> this when I'm talking about winemaking. I was talking to Bob Levy the winemaker at Harlan yesterday. And I, I said, I was telling him that, you know, when I, when I first got, you know, the, the plump jack, all I wanted to do was make Harlan. That's all I want. I wanted to be Harlan, you know? And, oh, how and, funny. You know, but I, 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 to be honest with you, I mean, that's, I think, young and maybe inexperienced and not not secure enough with yourself. And I really realized after the 08 vintage, and I made some wonderful wines at plump jack before, and then the 07 was, was probably my favorite at the time, that I, you know, I'm just going to make the best wine. I'm just going to start making plump jack. I'm not going to worry about anybody else. I there think this go. property can do things. And it's funny because Bob Lee said, you know, it's funny you should say that because I often hear people want to do everything I do like we do at Harlan. And I don't think he real people realize that maybe it doesn't work for you. Well, no, it doesn't. We had a similar experience. Yeah. So this is in the hey, mid 80s and Monalina was the cab. Oh wow, okay. Oh yeah. And so it was like, I gotta make line, I gotta make wine like Bo. I yeah. just gotta do it. Come on, Elias, we can do this. So we would, you know, and those were big, brawny, good, you know, tannin, Calistoga yeah. cab. Absolutely. Gorgeous wines, but you know, built. Yeah, I mean, really mm -hmm. got some structure to it and tannin. So we tried everything. We'd pump it over till the cows came home. I mean, we'd do That's everything. So we'd press it. We'd do this. We'd, you know, you know, trying to get that tannin, trying to get that tannin. And after a couple of years, it's like, you know, maybe this fruit on this ranch just doesn't do that. Yeah, and, and once we kind of just backed off and said, let's just let this baby blossom yep. on its own the way it's supposed to be that's when we started to really make some great wines and that's where i really think i came into my own as a winemaker <clears> saying you know <throat> let's look at the property what we can do maybe these techniques will work here but they don't work there and it really just to get out of my mindset of you know now don't get me wrong you talk to winemakers and you you, you know, like you know what are you doing to the hillside select right. you know and what, well, maybe i'll look at that you know or look at this maybe this will work and i think it's if that's what i always love about napa valley as much as everybody says it's so competitive it's so crazy here 
when you get behind the scenes and you go out to dinner and so forth, there's a lot of sharing of information because oh, I don't yeah. have, I don't have Sunspot, <clears throat> you know, and you don't have Mick Williams Vineyard. Right. So no matter what you try to do, you're never going to make a Sunspot wine right. out of Mick Williams and you're never going to make Oakville Cabernet, you know? So right. we can share that information as long as you understand that you have something special and I have something special because right. you'll never, you know, now Tokelon's a little different <clears throat> because, you know, there are a ton of people in Tokelon, but I still think people there share information too. I've never mm -hmm. heard, Hey, what are you, what are you seeing? You know, I'm seeing yeah. this or I'm seeing that. So, but it was great. And then we started Caden 05. Okay. Um, we so bought that, So now you did the Howl Mountain. So Cade was the next property. Yeah. So you'd been there for a couple of years. So you brought Cade. Now are you making the wine up there? I too? was overseeing both properties okay, and, um, when I interviewed, they said, Hey, uh, what do you want to do next? What, you know, what do you want to, what would you do? I said, well, you have a Valley floor vineyard. You should buy a mountain vineyard. Okay. And so we found this great piece of property undeveloped and it was actually, it's not true. It was developed, but there was no winery beside or anything like that. Right. It was the vine, uh, Vinecliff family owned it. And okay. so they wanted to divest that piece and keep focusing on Oakville. And we were able to get that property. And uh, we built the winery. Uh, Juan Carlos Fernandez was the head of architect at the time. He was in Lael's office. And now he's on his own called Signum. Had mm -hmm. um, never really designed a winery before, designed some smaller buildings, but really got this really cool aesthetic. And it was the first time that winery's lead certified uh, gold. I, I don't think, think that was the first one. It was the first one. And great. just to be a part of that and seeing it, and then the vineyards for organically farmed, it was a really cool synergistic of all aspects being sort of focused towards that. Right. And we had a really good success early. Howl Mountain though, I think out of all the Appalachians, I would say Mount Veeder too, and maybe Spring Mountain, I think, because there's so many different aspects on the mountains, you know, you have flat vineyards, you have hillside vineyards, mm -hmm. you have shaded vineyards, you have different full sun. exposures, right? Yeah, I just think it's so much more variable, uh, and I think that mountain vineyards can pull your hair out a little bit at times, right? You have 40 <laughs> acres of contiguous flat piece of ground. Granted, the soil subseries or the soil profiles are different underneath it, but it's not like a hillside that's that's in the shade at 3 p.m. and a vineyard that's in the sun till seven. You know, and so that's, that's been, that was probably the hardest aspect at Cade. And, and I really started getting more into phenolics, looking at that stuff. Cause mountain fruit, I remember the first vintage I made at Cade, like, oh, we'll just make it just like plumped, same thing. Right. And it was like, I, it was like eating a pencil. It was so <laughs> tannic, like you're chewing a pencil for an hour. Like really, this is how we want to go about doing this. I don't think we're going to do this anymore. So, <laughs> so we did that. And then um, towards my end, when I started my, uh, when I was going to start and leave, start my consulting career, we found, you know, in your neighborhood, we found Steltzner. Um, okay, so when when was that? What year? Was we that? started looking at it in eleven, spring okay. of eleven. So we actually made wine from the, the property, some experimental wine off the property, and we just saw some things. And it's funny, it was on the market for quite a while, and no one would bite on it. And we just, you know, saw Dick Stelzer is a character. I mean, a legend, another one of those legendary He's a people. Legend, right. um, and I kept going to people, mentors that I really trust, like Craig Williams and Tom Rinaldi. And they're like, if you can buy fruit from that ranch, if you can buy that ranch, you buy that ranch. Right. Don't be crazy. It's world-class. It's stag's leap. And, you know, we had some people say, no, you know, there's a reason why it hasn't sold. It must not be any good. And we did some testing and we tasted the wines. And we're like, there's something here, you hmm. know, and, and that's where Odette is now. And, and my assistant, Jeff Owens, went over there to make the wines I consulted for the first two and a half vintages. Right. And um, Jeff just took it to the next level. I mean, they really they really unlocked that property. And Dave, no. Dave Perio, who's the vineyard, vineyard manager there as well, they, they found it. So, Curio's vineyard manager where? At Plump Jack, Odette, and Cade. No, since when? Uh, as long as I was there, Dave Perry was there. Okay, sorry, time out. Yeah. I thought Perio was at Chapelet. 
he is, but he, he does he farms for other people too. I didn't know. So he was yeah, in there. Okay. and so he's a phenomenal <clears throat> farmer, very quiet, very soft spoken, never beats his own drum or his own horn. Oh no, he's, and, he's and the sweetest guy ever. So unbelievable farmer. And by the way, he's got the best outside shot. In oh, basketball in the world because I played high school basketball with him. I love that. See, there you go. So. He was he was the stud shooter. I was six man. So here's the deal. So and, <laughs> and everybody in the league knew how good this guy was. He's like the he was like the Steph Curry of okay. the St. Helena basketball league. We're going way off track here. I don't care. Oh, it's fine. No, so, do it. So so all the other teams knew how good this guy was. And I was a senior and he was a junior. He's a sweet kid and he's soft and you know, you know, soft spoken and and kind of skinny and slight, not not a not a yeah. big stud, but man, the guy could shoot. Silent assassin. And, and yeah, you know, and everybody so. knew it. So all the teams were looking for him. So our coach during practice, since I was the sixth man, I'd be I'd be on the defensive play, you know, yeah. when we'd scrimmage, he'd say, Okay, Schaefer, you're on Perio. He he pulled me aside and said, I want you to do everything this guy. You know, paw him, foul him, grab him, pull his shirt when he's jumping up, you know, step yeah. on his foot, you know, just harass him. His na- it's kind of nasty. And poor Dave, yeah. I said, you know, I really, we were good friends. I said, sorry, Dave, I got to do this. He goes, I know. In other words, and it was, it was just That's a really I didn't, time. You know, he never even told me to play <clears throat> basketball. So, but Talk, he's great. I love working with him. I will like, ask my same last time. I haven't talked to him in yeah, a while. He'd, but. he'd averaged, you know. 20 points a game. Wow. Yeah. That's big in high school, too. That's I big mean, in high school. So, no, it's funny. So, yeah, he's great to work with. And, Super. Okay. And, and so, he farms all the properties for them. Okay. And it's a great team. And, you know, working with John Conover and then then the ownership group, it was wonderful, wonderful time. And then I started my own consulting business in 12. So, so 12. So, so did you actually lead those guys in 12? Okay. I did. Okay. I left them in June 12. I just realized that, you know, I was 40 years old and I needed something different. Right. I wanted to do my own small brand and, and they, you know, they were very adamant about you focus on Plump Jack only and a lot of, a lot of wineries are here. Um, and that must have been kind of, kind of crazy scary because here you've got, you know, you've talked about secure job, you got your health plan, you got that and all of a sudden you're going Absolutely. out. No. And, and, and I think the hardest part for me, and, and, and I talk a lot about this to other people is sometimes you get caught up with your identity and your identity is a plump jack winemaker. Hmm. And I think it was, you know, it was very hard for me for the first year, even though I got to go to work for Hourglass and Jeff and Carolyn Smith, or Carolyn Duran and Jeff Smith, it was hard because plump jack, plump jack, plump jack. It's all people wanted to talk about it. Right. What am I without that? And I had a lot of people going, are you sure you made the right decision? Are you, you know, this is crazy. Why would you leave that winery? I don't understand it. But in the end, you know, I, I left Duckhorn at the same, you know, Duckhorn was, why would you ever leave Duckhorn? You have it made, you know, why would you leave Pump Jack? Right. There was something inside me that I just wanted to see if I can do it. And, uh, you know, I went to Hourglass with my first client. Hourglass and, with Jeff Smith. Yeah. Great guy. Wonderful guy. And they have- Great wines. But it's back to, um, back to, you know, Plumjack had gotten very large and we're back to estate driven again. You okay. know, two estate vineyards. I answer, you know, this is, this is, I think you're going to laugh because I think you're going to agree with me on this. It's hard sometimes as you grow, you, it's almost, you're punished for growing and being successful. You start getting layers and layers and layers for businesses. Whereas when you start the business, it's you and your dad and Elias, right. maybe, maybe a tasting worker and, a, and his receptionist. Now you have HR, now you have marketing director and nothing wrong with that. But it's like, all of a sudden you're starting to answer to more people. You're like, well, wait a second here. You know, that person hired me, 
you know, but why am I, you know, why am I getting a phone call on Sunday from the social media director saying, you know, you need to mention us more in your, your, yeah. your Twitter feed. Well, what do you, what, huh? No, you know? yeah. And I used to, I used to, I knew everybody, you know, I knew where every bucket was in the cellar. I knew every vineyard worker. And now it's like, yep. there's some guys I don't know that well. And That's it's, hard. And it bugs it's, me. It's hard. And, and, and so for me, <laughs> going small again was in a, and then, but having the opportunity to make my own wine and then work with a couple other brands was really exciting for me. So did you start making your own wine right away? Did not. <clears> Jeff <throat> asked me that to take a year off and focus on Hourglass and show us you can do that. And then the next year you can start. I said, that's not a problem. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And so, so he's your first client. Was he the first client for a while? Did you have no, right 13, away? I picked up <clears throat> Senegal. Senegal on, on Englewood. Yeah, the old Jaeger piece. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you know those guys. And, yeah, I do. And David was the owner and great to work for. Gave me a great opportunity there to really get that brand up and running. And then I worked for another brand that's that was sort of an, a concept of make the wine by a barrel. And that was kind of fun. But really 13 was about me focusing on my own brand, Patria, in Senegal. And then 14, um, not, no new clients. And 15, I worked with Amici, now Amici Winery. So I, so I went to work there and yeah. Amici, Olima, and No Curfew. I mean, wonderful people to Amici, work for. Amici, they're up in Calistoga. Yeah, uh, off of Old Toll Road. Got so it. great people to work for. They make a lot of single vineyard wine. So Tokalon, uh, more solely, okay, for, to name two, and then but Bob um, Shepard and John Harris, the owners, are the great people to work for. And then in seventeen, I took took two clients on in Paso just to play play around to see something different. Now, how far a drive is that, man? It's a well, and that's how I found out about your podcast. <laughs> it's about a four four hour four hour fifteen minute drive. But I'll get up early and drive, or I'll leave. You know, yeah. I go down there and I drive back at night. Um, but it's given opened my eyes to what else is out there. And it's, you know, different winemaking techniques and understanding that what works here doesn't work there. And just having a whole different attitude. It's very different down there. Um, especially there's a huge difference between West Paso and East Paso. That's what I've heard. Yeah, it's completely night and day. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was standing at a winery called Torin uh, at Scott Hawley's winery. And um, we're just sitting on the patio just chatting, you know, and I, he goes, I go, where, how high are we? He goes, over 1,500 feet. Oh my god! You don't even know it. You know, yeah. and, and of course, if you drive from West Paso on the Temple through to Templeton Gap, you're going to go drop straight down to the ocean. So th it's a crazy topography down there. And then I also have a client now in um, in 17, uh, Lassiter, John Lassiter. From oh, John Lassiter for Pixar. Yeah. And then my yeah, last client that I took on this year um, as of recording is I took them on last year was uh, the Vineyardist up in Calistoga. So okay, working with uh, Dirk Fulton and his beautiful forty-acre piece of property. Mark Harold used to, was there before, and and so they have their own little winery. Got so. it. And Claude Duval too. Claude Duval was I there just, for four years. Yeah, I'm sorry, I started in yeah. fifteen at Claude Duval. I left last year, and that was sort of a you know working with Steve Tamborelli right. to sort of help. You know, Christy, Christy Fulton was was the winemaker there up until 15. And I didn't replace her. I was going to work with her. And she left very suddenly uh, to do some some consulting and some Got other it. things. And it was sort of like, uh, okay. Yeah. So Steve, Steve asked me if I would help make the wines um, for this that year to get them through. So I made the single vineyard wines there. But that was, I mean, again, Stag's Leap is unbelievable. So... So you've got what six, seven, eight, nine, ten clients, something like that. Seven, seven, seven including my own Patria. Um, so, and that's about where I like to be. I don't want. I don't to, need yeah. more. Um, I sort of got in this this stable of people I really like working for, um, and and I think you know it's almost find your. I hate saying the saying, but it's find your tribe. These people that I know me and I know them well, and they trust me and I trust them. So right. it's really, really good. So how much do you get involved in each place? Does each place have someone kind of on staff as a quote winemaker or assistant winemaker? I like, How's that? I like to set that up. because My goal is as a consultant is to come in 
And now, now the vineyards is very small, so I make those wines. And Amici, I'm a co-winemaker with a gentleman by the name of Jesse Fox. Right. He's, he makes the wines with me now. And I, I like to set that up that way because in the end, it's about the brand, it's not about me. Right. And I think the strength, and I think the future, you know, whereas, I think in the last 15 years, it was all about consultant, 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 mm -hmm. you know? And I think now the strongest thing for anybody to do is to put someone very strong in place and you just come in and taste, taste the wines, work with them to sort of mentor them. And maybe, you know, maybe you took, like at, at Clodeval, for example, was Ted Henry came right. on board in early 16. And at the end of 18, I just, they didn't need, they don't need my help. He's a talented, talented guy. Now coming in and have, having a you know different person look at the wines when it comes to that, it's very important. I mean, I have Craig taste my wine. Craig Williams, I, I beg him to taste my wines right. because he can say, see something I miss. Craig Williams. Yeah. But, uh, but when you're dealing with these guys, do they like call you up? I mean, do you guys go over work orders or when to rack or when to filter? And Kind you know, of. Um, I write protocols for them. Okay. Um, it's all sort of different. Um, like for example, Jesse Fox is a talented winemaker in Amici. So right. we're talking probably higher level stuff. Whereas with last year, we brought a, a wonderful woman named Danielle. Um, I can never say Danielle, sorry if you're listening. Langle is how she says she's, mm -hmm. I can never say her last name. I probably butchered it, but she's a young up and coming talented winemaker um, who just started last year in 18. We brought her on full time. So I help her more with work orders and yeah, some of that stuff. And just logistics, but logistics. Like I, but like production. I told her, I said, look, you know, you need to make some of these decisions because yeah. um, I can do all the, I can make all the decisions and I'll do the job. Or you make all the decisions and I'll help you. And if you stumble, we'll fix it. Right. And do this and do that. And, and, I, and I said, trust me, I, there, there won't be a time where there's something very drastic that I'm gonna leave you hanging. But you know, for little things, make the decision. We can talk about it afterwards. I can say, well, I maybe would have approached it this way or that way. Right. I think that's the hardest thing is, is managing of people in the cellar. I think you would agree to that too. Is it's so easy to make wine, but it's management of people is the hardest thing. I think anybody would agree in any business. Well, is, you're 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 a you're a mentor. Yeah, you're basically mentoring. And, and I think to letting <clears throat> go of of your notion, preconceived notion, that as long as the job is getting done incredibly well how they get to the end, end, end point is it's, if the end point is still as good as you would have done it, but they look at the problem completely differently, you let it go. You don't, you don't become a micromanager. You know, you empower your people to do these jobs and these people will run, my guys, I love every one of them, they'll run through walls. I mean, they're so amazing. <laughs> you know, they'll do anything to make great wine because right. you're empowering them because they're part of the process. I think it's one of the hardest things in winemaking is when you're not part of, you're just, just a, I call it a pogue. I mean, fill a barrel, why am I filling a barrel? Well, it's none of your business. You know, you know get that forklift. If they're right. part of the process and they can come to you, I just think people are happier. And that's what happened at, at, for me at Duckhorn is how I was treated. That's so, how you were treated. And I think it's maybe how, maybe, that, maybe that's what it comes back to is if you were treated that way, you kind of want to do that to, to them. And, you know, Tom Rinaldi would always open great wines, would always barbecue for us. So I find myself doing that now to the guys. Good. You know, it's just it's treating well. Well, that's that's key. And my hat's off to you because that's a tough thing to do. I've had a tough time in, you know, my career keeping my mouth shut and letting someone who's working with me or under me, you know, do their own thing and knowing they're, they're not going to mess up on purpose. And even if they do something I wouldn't have done, it's still not going to be the end of the world. And yeah. Yeah, that's it's a challenge. It so is, you know. There are certain things that I, I, of course, want to be a part of picking, of course, and sure. maceration techniques and so forth. But I often tell my guys, "You're going to laugh. This is true. It's it, only I can't fix is if you put wine down the drain. 
<laughs> you know, so I, mean, I can't go down there and get it back. So well, what about red wine into a white wine? That's the other one. That's another one. So, you know, that, we've done that before. I've watched like, why are you topping those barrels? Yeah. <laughs> well, because they need wine. I'm like, yeah, it's white wine though. Oh. So yeah, we did that. We made the mistake once at Duck Run of putting a, a pyramid of white Sauvignon Blanc in a red room. Oh, bad idea. Yeah, seven barrels later. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, here we go. Oh, but, yeah, <laughs> but for the most part, I think you're hoping the person understands that, but they don't. I mean, sometimes they don't. Yeah. And so I've seen that mistake happen. But, yeah, I think that's just to empower them. It's incredibly hard to do because you've, you know, your name's on it. Yeah. And in the end, you're going to get the credit. Or the, you, 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 you know, I've always believed you share all the credit, you take all the blame. Got you it. know, and, and that, because that's what your job, you get paid to do that, you know, and you empower your guys. And you know, we did it all, it's a team effort, you know, when the screw up hits, uh, I did it. And then and it, it, the buck stopped with me, I missed that. I'm so. with you. So I got to ask you something, because I've never seen this happen. But I, I remember, I remember hearing stories about this when I was working with Randy at Lake Spring. So I was brand new, you know, and the, the, he put the fear of God in me about you don't want to suck in a tank. So, oh, yeah. So, so, so sucking in a tank, basically, everyone is... If you're moving wine from one tank to another tank or to barrels, you're basically hooked up a hose and you open the valve and you're sucking out the wine. Well, you need to make sure you vent the top of the tank because if you don't, because the tops yeah. are sealed up, if you don't, then it'll basically suck it in. And, like, you know, and, and when these yeah. steel tanks I've heard, I've never seen it or heard it in yeah. person, it's really loud because like, boom. Because every once in a while you walk into a winery, not too yeah. much these days, but there'll be some tank over in the corner. It's got like this big kind of indentation in it. It's like, whoa, someone sucked that in. <laughs> I swear, I think, I think it's, I think truthfully, it's the first thing everybody tells you, do not oh, do this. Yeah. You make sure. And I've actually seen, the funny thing is I had a tank at Plump Jack suck in, but it wasn't our guy's fault. What happened was, Hmm. the seam on a uh, jacket on the inside of the tank. We had to end up having to sell the wine off in bulk because it had glycol, got glycol, glycol in it. But the glycol blew through it and the glycol was flowing so fast it actually sucked the tank in. It sucked the jacket in. Oh my god! It dented it. So I have yeah. seen that. I mean, you hear the horror stories, you know, and you've seen the tanks and then they blow them back out and it looks like, it looks like a Coke can that you've yeah. thrown around too yeah. much and it's just extended. Yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, I always say it's like a water bottle. If you suck on the bottle of a water bottle, there's no top. Yeah. It sucks in. It's it sucks the same, in, thing. same thing. And then you've heard the horror stories where there was one winery where they did hot water rinse on all the tanks and then they latched up the top and then the, the hot water went to cold so it sucked all the tanks dry. Oh. You know, that and taking, I see, I have seen people take valves off the back of a tank and then two inches of wine come at people. You know. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, there was one That's I, I, I want to <laughs> yeah. make sure, you know, there's statues of limitations to things after 20 years, right? <laughs> I know, I know. We were working once at a winery, I won't name it, but uh, I, I bet somebody and this will make you laugh. I don't know if the, if the fans out there will get this and that I could outrun a two horsepower Centrifugal pump, and oh, and, cl and close the valve and open the valve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean run? You know the wine. You, the yeah. wine's going through the hose, yeah, and you're going to. I, gonna... I can outrun it. There's no way you can outrun this. I said I no. can do this. I can do this, and I get there. And that thing is, it, it's like a fire hose of, <laughs> of, of Chardonnay must hitting the wall, and it's just like going everywhere. I'm like. And I, and I finally got, I was covered in this covered must, in. and, and <clears throat> I, I couldn't outrun it. Good idea. I love it. Hey, <clears throat> tell, me, tell me more about your own brand, Patria. So Patria. Um, Patria, it, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, Patria, I mean, I, I say it sometimes Patria. too. Uh, it means uh, native, native land, homeland. Right. Um, it was, you know, something I've always wanted to do. I think 
I think any chef always wants to have his own restaurant. I think even if it's a small brand, it's, right. it's something that you want to do. It is yours. You know, I make the wines for Hourglass or Amici. There's, a, there's, you know, Jeff Smith's a part of that, or Bob, and, and you know, everybody's yeah. a part of. It. This is mine. It's my expression. It's your baby. Yeah. And it's a vineyard. I, you know, the first vineyard I dealt with is Oakville Ranch, which is a. Uh, above Dalavali, but below Ovid. And it's one of the highest vineyards in Oakville, pure red soil, very unique. I actually just discovered- Mary, the, Mary Minor's Mary place. Minor, please, right. yeah, absolutely. And I discovered the piece when Duckhorn was buying fruit from there. And I said, I'll always, I always wanna make, to buy fruit from there. And it's good ranch. Um, it's great ground. And so that was 13. And then I became really close with Phil Kachuri, who okay. farms it. So a uh, yeah. very famous family out of Sonoma, who's a big, big organic farmer out of Sonoma. And he's subsequently is why I work with the Lassiters now and, and the vineyardist. And we have really, you know, just a really good rapport. So we were, his name came up uh, with Paula Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah Cause he was, yeah. She, I think she hired him when she was she running. Hired him. And I, she's the one who enabled me to get into Oakville Ranch, Paula Cornell. Did. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So I still dealt with her a bit before she had left left Oakville Ranch. So she was very kind to me. I mean, I was just this young kid knocking on their door every year. Can I have some fruit? Can I have some fruit? Can I have some fruit? You know, and 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 so they finally said yes in 13. And so I make two, made two wines then, an Oakville Ranch Cabernet, then a Cabernet Franc Cabernet blend okay. um, called Avoils because my business partner's family, Kimberly Jones, uh, had their family bought a piece of property in the Voiles Parish in, in Louisiana. Okay. And so we, I just called it that for her. And so, yeah, and that wine is... A homage or sort of my my sort of um, homage to Maya okay. uh, That was out of all the so-called cult wines, we go back to this, the, the original ones, that was the most unique to me from the label design, from the blend of Cabernet Franc to Cabernet. It's Franc and Cab. Yeah, right. that was always the one that was like, so here you have, it's you know, Araujo, you have Bryant Family or Harlan yeah. or Schaefer Hillside Select. Then you have this Cabernet Franc Cabernet blend. It's like, what is this? But it's so what's, phenomenal. What's, what's your blend on that it's one? It's about 50, it, it varies between yeah. 45 and 55 Franc. Okay. And then Cabernet, the other portion, maybe five to 7% Petit Verdot. Okay. And all of it's co-fermented usually. So we'll pick it at the same time oh, and cool. co-ferment it together. So, but yeah, uh, it's just a very unique wine. And Sounds it's, good, actually. It, it, it's really fun, you know, and the Cabernet Franc up there is special. It's, east east uh, side Valley Cabernet Franc. I used to so. buy some Franc from uh, Cal Choquette. Yeah, so then you understand right it. So yeah, and, yeah. and so uh, you know the dirt. Yeah. And so it, it's just, it's been very fun. And then another wine I just bought, a vineyard I just um, bought for, from starting in 16 or 15 was Alan Price. Do you okay. know Alan? You know uh, Alan uh, Miel? Oh yeah, 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 yeah sorry. Price, we're, yeah. we're having a conversation guys yeah. there. But um, he, his family owned Spotswood originally, sold it to right. the Novaks and he has a little one and a half acre piece on Hudson. Oh. 27 year old clone seven Cabernet he planted that I buy for my brand and make about 125 cases in that with for a, a Patria as well. And so you know, just having fun looking for different vineyards to work with. More and good dirt. Yeah, it's great dirt and that's why yeah. I got it. And so, yeah. and I know Alan cause he worked with me at Hess Collection. So Small world. It is, it is and I think that's really what I think people forget sometimes is that how small Napa Valley is. It, it is one degree of separation. Mm -hmm. and, and especially if you were here in the early 90s or for you even earlier than that, yeah. it's probably half a degree of separation, it you is. know? And so it, the more things change, more things stay the same. Yeah. And, and I love living here and and it's It's and, great. It, there's strengths and there's weakness, I guess. You know, people go, oh, you must hate the tourists. Actually, I've met oh. more interesting people just walking down oh, the street, yeah. you know, and it's just, fun. They're all happy. They're on vacation. They're on vacation. Yeah. They're drinking wine. <laughs> exactly. So if someone wants to get your wines, Patria, how do they get PatriaWines.com. PatriaWines.com. Yeah. Okay, everyone, hear that? Check so, it out. Absolutely. So, Tony, yeah. thanks for coming Doug, in. Thank you. It was great. Have a great day. All right, man. Bye. Be good. See ya. Well, that was fun. I feel like we just got a crash course in Napa Valley history over the last 20 years. 
Tony makes beautiful wines and is one of those rare guys who understands the vineyard, understands the cellar, and understands how to work with people. It was great to sit down and finally get to know something about him. If you like the taste, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes, as that helps other people find the podcast. Anytime you want to reach us, just send an email to podcast at schafervineyards.com. I read them all and really appreciate the support. We'll see you next time.